you, Ryan and Suzanne. Really appreciate that. Maybe see and pull out your outlines if you have them. Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We are to be going through verses 16 through 26. I had a change of course that was kind of set out for me this uh, well this at the end of the week looking at this portion of scripture if you've been with us for any time or if you've been following us online or uh, you'll know that from February on we started in the book of Galatians and we're now in chapter 5 and in the first few chapters of Galatians what Paul is talking about is doctrine 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 he's sharing with them on how this gospel that they are receiving is false doctrine and how is it that they are following these men that are claiming that you have to follow certain traditions and rituals to be saved is false doctrine. And so as he's walking us through, and uh, you know, and, and I don't know how much of an insight he had as far as realizing that we would be reading these, this letter, but he knew that the churches in Galatia were going to be reading, and that's what he was really concerned about. He was concerned about this false doctrine that crept in. And, and he shares a lot of history with us from Abraham that, that justification is by faith, always has been, and always will be. And he, he shares the Old Testament story of Abraham and also of Sarah, uh, his wife, and uh, of, of the slave woman and how the two don't mix. And so as Paul is sharing these things with us and with the churches in Galatia, he, he finally comes to a point where he says, okay, now, now that you've learned all this, now that you've followed through in this whole doctrinal issue that I've been talking to you about, this is how you put it into practice. And so for the next two chapters, we're going to be looking at the practical aspect of what Paul has been talking about. And he starts off in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And we're just gonna we're just gonna jump on 16 for now and then go from there. But but one of the things that we have to realize is that the church was in trouble. They had an infiltration of people coming in and sharing their thoughts and their ideas as to how things should happen. But just as Jesus Christ is the primary person behind justification, in other words, the rebirth, being born again, Jesus Christ is the one in whom salvation comes. There is in no other name and no other person that can receive that kind of recognition or even that kind of glory. But just like Jesus Christ is the primary person behind justification and being born again, the Holy Spirit is the primary person behind sanctification. And we're going to be walking through these next few verses and chapter, the next couple of chapters in the process of sanctification. And just to clarify, sanctification is the process that you and I are going through right now. Sanctification is the process that God is leading you through. Sanctification, bottom line, hurts, is painful. The reason being is because we hold on to a lot of our sin. We hold on to a lot of the world. We crave, our flesh craves the things of this world. And sanctification rips it out of your life. And when you walk in the Spirit, as Paul is going to share with us right now, when you walk in the Spirit, it is difficult. But when you walk in the Spirit, it becomes part of what the Spirit does in you. Now, there's going to be, so I'll share this with you in a little bit, but there's going to be some tension in that walking in the Spirit because, of course, the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants. And a believer can no more sanctify himself than he could have saved himself uh, in the first place. 
Just like the, uh, the, the regeneration process, the justification process is wholly a work of God. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no man can boast. Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit, and you cannot do this on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. He cannot live in a, the Christian, uh, you cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's virtually impossible. As a matter of fact, you cannot live in the Spirit and in the flesh simultaneously. It's either one or the other. You can't do both. You can't mix them together. It's like water and oil. And may, many of you have probably felt that and sensed that, that when you're in the spirit, it just doesn't seem that nothing seems to harm you. But when you're in their flesh, it's, well, anything goes. And I'm sure I can get some testimonies on that. In its most profound simple definition, the faithful Christian life is a life lived under the direction and by the power of the spirit. And that's the theme of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and on. And Paul tells us to, to walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And he's sharing with us what the Holy Spirit is uh, to do. Now, Paul has taken it for granted already that everyone understands what this means, to be living by the Spirit. We are a church uh, that desires to be led by the Spirit. We are a church that is Spirit-filled. Every believer needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is not filling the believers within this congregation, then the church cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. We all have to be firing on all cylinders. And beloved, we need to do this now. Every one of us. Those of you that are within the sound of my voice. Living a Spirit-filled life is essential. Especially if we're going to be going through these revivals that Devon had mentioned. Especially if we're going to continue to grow. The spirit gives life. The flesh is death. The problem with me saying that we want to be a spirit-filled church is that for a lot of people, it brings up some ideas or thoughts or maybe some experiences that you may have gone through. And it's unfortunate because being a spirit-filled church is what Jesus Christ had initiated from the very beginning. The command that Paul gives us in verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's imperative. We must walk in the spirit. Father in heaven, thank you once again for giving this portion of scripture. Lord, help us to go through diligently your word and to see what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is and how he is to lead us through the church, and what the role of the Holy Spirit is in my life. So thank you once again, Father, for leading us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Being a spirit-filled Christian, well, let's just go to the book of John. John chapter 14. And the, in the outlines, you'll have verses there, but I'd like for you to read it for yourself out of your translation in your Bible. John chapter 14, we'll start off there. And... In this, in this John 14, verse 15, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus is in the upper room. They've, they're going through the, the Seder, the Passover meal. He's, he's uh, praying for them. He's giving them the high priestly prayer. 
And he's praying over them and, and sharing with them. And he's letting them know ahead of time that, yes, I'm going to leave. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a helper. And he explains who this helper is. And he says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And the Holy Spirit, he is saying, he is in you and he is he will be with you. And we'll see here in just a bit on how all of this kind of falls into place as we look at the Holy Spirit's responsibility. See, because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it was the Holy Spirit coming down upon a certain person for a specific time, for a specific purpose, at just the right time. And every time that the Holy Spirit came upon a person, everybody could see that there was something different about that person. He was able to display this supernatural ability as Samson would. He would be able to display this, this strength as the prophets were. They were, they were. they were able to speak the words of God directly to the people. And the Holy Spirit would come upon a person at one time, at one place, on one man for one purpose. And then he would leave. The reason David would sing out, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me, is because, not because you can lose your salvation, is because that was the role of the Holy Spirit at that time. In, in the book of Joel, we hear that in, in the future days that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. It will be poured out on all those that, uh, that, that, are, that, are, that are His. And we can walk by the Spirit with this ability. In John, in the book of John, uh, where we're at now, but in chapter 6, 7, excuse me, in chapter 7, during the Feast of Tabernacles, in chapter 7, verses 37 and on, during the Feast of Tabernacles, he stands up and the Bible says that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, the commentary that John gives is very important. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus Christ had not yet been glorified. And we know that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and it fell upon individuals that were in the upper room. And there was this, this sign, this ability to see as if tongues of fire were on their heads. And the book of Acts tells us that they spoke in tongues or the people heard in their language. And there are 16 languages that are identified that these men were able to speak in order to get the gospel message across. Now, with all these verses that I have just shared with you, it, it seems that there are some that have taken that and run off with it. And the, they say, you see, we are supposed to speak in this gibberish, this heavenly language. The purpose of the tongues, the purpose of the Holy Spirit was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is the one that points and pushes people to the cross, to Jesus Christ, on what he did. And regardless of what we may think, and regardless of what other people may say, the Holy Spirit's responsibility to the church is, number one, I will, he will help us to remember what Jesus said. He would help us to remember what Jesus said. 
In John 14, going back to John 14, verse 26, he says this. You can start in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The first thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he's going to send us a helper. And this helper helps us to understand Scripture. He doesn't help you. Well, you know, God helps us in so many different ways. There is this common grace that everyone gets. Jesus had proclaimed that God causes his sun to shine on the just as well as the unjust. We all get this common grace. And some people seem to be able to utilize that common grace for their own benefit. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us and to lead us to the truth. And to give us the truth of God's word. He is the author of the word of God. And to bring the, the things to, back to remembrance. These men, they all had this ability to remember what Jesus Christ did because of the help, the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helped them to be able to jot down everything that they had seen and heard. You have to remember that back in that day, they didn't have books. They didn't have the ability to, to text or email or Facebook, or whatever the case may be. They didn't have the ability to write these things down as they were going along. As a matter of fact, most of them, uh, or some of them, were really just not, not able to write. But what they did, and they did it meticulously, is they passed it on from oral tradition to oral tradition. And every person that heard the story they would recant it exactly the way it was t told to them. It's not like today, our telephone game that we play. We tell a secret to somebody, you pass it on, you pass it on, and it, by the time it gets to the end, it's all changed. These stories were passed on from, uh, as, as far as oral tradition. And then at one point, people started to say, okay, you know what? These apostles are dying. These prophets, and everyone is dying. We need to write these things down. And everything wasn't really completed until about after 100 years after the birth of Christ. It was close to 60, 70 uh, AD when everything was written down. And so as the Holy Spirit was helping them remember, and you got to remember this, this is close to 30 years after Jesus Christ has been crucified, that they were passing on these traditions. And the Holy Spirit came to them years later and gave them the ability to write these things down so they can pass them on as a book. So the first responsibility that the Holy Spirit has is to help us to remember what Jesus said, to help us and to remember on what the Word of God says. Number two, He will help us to bear witness about Jesus. In verses 26 and 27, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. If you remember what Jesus had said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not power for miracles, not power. Well, they had the powers of miracles. They had the powers of signs and wonders, but not powers that some people try to display today. But it was the power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power to be able to withstand any type of persecution, the power to be able to, to share the truth of God without any hindrance. It is amazing today on how many people don't even realize that they have the power to proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ, yet we don't. Or how convoluted the gospel of Jesus Christ has gotten. 
if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard me say not everything that we say is the gospel. Feeding the homeless is not the gospel. Uh, helping people in need is, is not the gospel. Uh, going to a restaurant and, and praying over my food is not sharing the gospel. I mean, those are things that we should do, especially in some of the restaurants in San Bernardino. Please pray for your food. But that is not sharing the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed by knowing that God is holy and we are not. And Jesus Christ has been able to bridge that gap and bring us together. And he has reconciled us to God. And now we have this ministry of reconciliation where we are reconciling others to God as well and to the church. And it is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He was, he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. Very important key parts of Scripture, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this bearing witness, we get our, our English word martyr from witness, is to, be, is to be able to give that and bear that, that martyrdom as you are speaking about Jesus Christ, regardless of where you're at. Many of us don't even know the persecution. We don't understand it. Well, I guess some of you could probably relate to your testimony where you have been kind of pushed into a corner or, or you know, you've been asked, are you, you really a Christian? Do you really believe that stuff? Do you, do you really give on a regular basis? You give your money to, uh, you know, a church? Which, by the way, I, I, I have found it pretty interesting that there are some people that do go to a bigger church that uh, it's over here. It's called the Church of San Manuel Casino, and they have no problem giving the money there. They just go there and they just lay it down and they please God. I don't know what God they're praying for. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they have that anymore. I, I haven't been there in years. So but you've been told that you don't know that you've been told that there's buttons, right? OK, that's what I thought. <laughs> people have no problem throwing their money away in every type of endeavor. But when it comes to Christ, when it comes to his church, it's like, I'm not going to give my money to that. And, and you, you get ridiculed or you get laughed at. Or, or, or maybe your kids are invited to a birthday party where you know, where you know at this birthday party that it's not going to be a very godly birthday party because you know these guys. They're from San Bernardino. Come on. You know they're going to have beer and all kinds of stuff and it's just going to be a, a for, for a three-year-old. You know, I mean, and you're thinking, oh, I, I can't. why not? Well, because I, I don't want my kids going to something like that. Why? Because you're Christian? What, do you think you're better than us? Are you judging us? You felt that persecution in a sense. And, and right now, if, if we can't even put up with that, beloved, we're really going to have a hard time when it comes. The Holy Spirit gives you the power and the ability. And, you know, to some, to some extent, also the, the words that you need to use to be, uh, to, to gently say, you know, no, not lie. And they'll say, why not? And sometimes the best thing to do is just don't say anything. Just sit there. Well, what's the problem? Oh, well, never mind. They'll turn around and walk away. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to bear witness about Jesus Christ. Number three, he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of righteousness. He will convict the world of judgment. Is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit within the church. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I was told uh, this last week, I was at two funerals this last week, and I was told this last week that uh, somebody said to me, you know, you sure talk about sin a lot. You know, don't you think people already know that they're sinners? I go, no, they don't. 
Well, they don't know. If they really knew what sin was and how it offends a holy God, they would turn. But most people don't have that inclination on how wretched and how awful that sin is. If they're genuinely reborn, and by the way, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, we're going to be talking about the gifts, excuse me, the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's some things that got to come out of my life as well as yours. And so it's, it's, I know that this is the summertime, and uh, if you want to wear flip-flops and sandals, it's okay. But I just want to encourage you to get your feet shod with the gospel of peace because I'm going to be stepping on some toes. All right? And if I hear somebody say, ow, okay, I'll know who that was. There are some things that, ha- there's a list of them there. And you might look at that list and say, oh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do any of these things. We all fall in that list, and that's just a precursor of what we're going to be coming up with. He convicts you. He convicts the world of sin. If you genuinely love Jesus Christ, your desire is no longer for the flesh. The flesh is the one that's craving and, and, and hankering for that, whatever it is, that pleasure, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And, and those three things that John talks about in 1 John, those are the three sins, those are the three temptations that Jesus Christ was tempted with. And if you follow all that, all that back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see that that's exactly what Eve was tempted with. It looked good. You know, it, it's, it, it looks good. I, it, it, it pleased her senses, the taste. And then, of course, the serpent said to her, you know, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that the moment that you eat this, you will become like God. Oh, I want to become like God. Well, who does he think he is, God? Oh, yeah, he is. You know, I, I, I want to do that too. The pride of the, pride of life, pride of the flesh, pride of life, and, and the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, excuse me. And this whole process of what the Holy Spirit does, he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of judgment. And many people believe, you know, yeah, God's a, a loving God. I don't think he's really going to judge me as, as harsh. He, you know, he knows that I'm a work in progress. He knows that there's things that, you know, I just can't give up yet. One person told me, he says, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm after, 20, after 21, because at 21, I'm going to go out and party and, and do everything I can do. And then, and then I'll come back and, okay, Lord, I'm done. It's like Mardi Gras. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Mardi Gras is a religious holiday. Did you know that? Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras is a religious holiday that happens at, uh, in, in um, Louisiana. And, well, it happens everywhere. But Mardi Gras is translated Fat Tuesday. And they call it Fat Tuesday because you go out and just do whatever it is that you want to do. Because the next day is Ash Wednesday. And I'm going to get all my sins forgiven. And therefore, for 40 days until Easter... I'm going to fast or do Lent. And, and there, there's this concept of this idea, this thought. God is going to be okay with my sin. See, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Beloved, it's unfortunate that he's going to send the sinner to hell along with the sin. And, and the word of God has to be proclaimed and the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance every said to help you to bear witness about who Jesus Christ is because the Holy Spirit is already convicting the world of sin and you are the tool he wants to use to help people that you know people in your family your loved ones 
your friends, people at work. And it should bring, it should cause your heart to ache for those that you know are still in sin of some sort and wanting to know, how do I do this? Well, the Holy Spirit has given us, the church, the ability to do that. It's just, that, that's part of our revival. From the revival, we're going to have classes, uh, the people to come and, and, and learn how to walk in the Spirit. You, as within the sound of my voice, need to be ready for this. Bill gave us an outline last week of some verses that we should be reading. Now, those verses, they're going to help you get through the New Testament in 60 days. And it's, and it's pretty good, I, I, you know, as you read this. And it's not really geared toward revival as it is much as a revival within me. Revival has to happen within each one of us, first and foremost. Because when we are revived, when our life is on as you would say, we will bring, number four, we will, bring, we will glorify Jesus Christ. This is key. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, out of these verses, I pulled out four roles that the Holy Spirit has. But, you know, we can dive into this a little bit deeper and we can start seeing some more things that the Holy Spirit will do. But I pulled out these four for a specific reason. I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit, His responsibility is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Bring glory to what He's done on the cross. That's His responsibility. And it's so unfortunate that in so many churches and so many other people that have, have taken this Holy Spirit... And what they do is they bring glory to the Holy Spirit. They bring glory to their church. Or they'll bring glory to their pastor or their movement or their denomination. And the reason why Satan has infiltrated many of these people that truly believe they're doing well by glorifying the Holy Spirit is because Satan doesn't want you to see the cross. He doesn't want you to see what Jesus Christ did. He wants you to come and get blessed and let the blessings fall upon you and feel good and, and get rejuvenated and, and cry and leave here in your own sin. Without any redemption, without any rebirth, without any regeneration, without any uh, imputation of God's righteousness, of Jesus Christ's righteousness upon us. Upon, without any of your sin being imputed upon Jesus Christ. It's all about what the Holy Spirit can give you. Beloved, anybody that points to the Holy Spirit and he's standing there and says, no, 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 over here. We need to point people to Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? It's Jesus and Jesus only. And the, the responsibility and the role of the Holy Spirit within the church is to point people to Jesus. Not to himself, not to miracles. Not to tongues, not to anything else, not to any other church or denomination or whatever the case may be. Totally, solely, Jesus Christ. Let me read this again. When the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. He will not try to tell you what it is that you need to do or how it is that you need to speak or what language you should speak in. He's not going to tell you on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. Who's he hearing this from? He's hearing it from God himself. He's hearing it from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that promised the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. 
The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not this, uh, you know, this feeling. The Holy Spirit is not something that I can grab onto and hold onto and, and pray to. The Holy Spirit is a person and he is right next to you, helping you, directing you, guiding you, convicting you. And beloved, that's your responsibility as well. If you are a spirit-filled Christian. Now, does that have a little bit of a difference than the spirit-filled Christian that some of you probably thought about? It should. Because being a spirit-filled Christian, beloved, is being one that's going to be able to, to see the duplicity or the, 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 the difference between what God has intended for us to do, what His Word says. We don't take it out of context. We don't try to make up our own words. We don't, we don't try to come up with anything else but what the Word of God says. And He says, He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, the Holy Spirit's role is to uh, give you gifts and to be able to appoint people, service and ministry. The Holy Spirit's role within the church it brings this unity together when we're united and one. And there are many other roles. And we can go on and on. This is basically review. We've gone through this once before. And we've gone through it in depth. But on the back of your outlines, if you turn with me, the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. Number one, the role of the Holy Spirit regenerates me. He regenerates me. Titus says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is basically salvation. The Holy Spirit saves you. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. The Holy Spirit causes you to be born again. The Holy Spirit is the one that renews you. The Holy Spirit takes the old and gives you something new. The Holy Spirit ought to be visible in your life to other people by showing that you're a totally different person. A totally different person. I shared part of my testimony with the a couple this last week, and they go, what? <laughs> I go to my hometown of Madeira, which is up by Fresno, and I, I ask me, where, where you been? I, you know, I've been gone for over, over 30 years. What have you been doing? I, well, I pastor a church. You? Sal? You pastor a church? <laughs> I wonder what kind of church that is. <laughs> I, they, do they know? Well, they know that I, I'm a wretched sinner. Or you were. No, I'm still a wretched sinner. You know, And they know that I'm saved by grace. And they know that I'm growing in that grace that Jesus Christ has given me. Which, by the way, you too can have that same amazing grace. He regenerates you, and you've got to be different. Well, you know, in my life, the outward stuff, easy to identify. I mean, it's easy to identify all the things that I've said and done. And, you know, it's, there's people that are, it, it, you know, and my wife really doesn't like me talking about her, so I'm not going to talk about her. But there is this woman that's very important in my life. That I, I really, truly just, I was adored and amored by her. I, I, I mean, I just said, you know, you are such a good person. And she would say, yeah, I know. Uh-huh, I know. And I like that. But she liked me because, well, I was just the opposite. You know how they say opposites attract? And then they attack? Yeah, well, all the things that I liked about her and things that she liked about me, later became contention between us, you know, and you're so irresponsible. Well, I thought you liked that about me. You're such a, you know, okay. This is not a counseling class. I'll talk to my counselor about that. 
And it was difficult. It's difficult for people that come up and, and really trying to do everything correctly. But there is a sin of pride. There's a sin of arrogance. There's a sin of anger. Oh, you know, if wherever my wife would spit, that grass would burn. It was just this, the inside was just wretched and wicked. And she came to a point where she recognized, we, as a matter of fact, we both came to that same conclusion at the same time. And we committed our lives to serving Jesus Christ because of what he did in our life. And I, I said, you, you can do that. This is not me, Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll take it. I want my past forgiven. I want all that stuff taken away. The Holy Spirit regenerates you and gives you a new life. Now, to some of you guys, you might be thinking, I don't want to be a pastor. Well, you don't have to be a pastor, but your life must change. It has to change. It has to be different. There has to be this notable difference within your life and what God is doing in your life. Because all of us need that change. And if you're not seeing it within yourself, because see, basically, I was spiritually dead. I was spiritually dead and Jesus Christ made me alive. The Holy Spirit, John 6, 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes in and gives you that life. He re rebirthed. As Nicodemus asked, how does that happen? It's a natural thing. You see the wind? No, but I see its effects. Exactly. It's a supernatural thing that takes place within your life. And when it takes place within your life, you can see the effects. That is, number two, the Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ. There's some confusion about this terminology. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I, have, I get baptized every time I come to church. The Holy Spirit baptizes me. The pastor proclaims it upon me, and he baptizes the whole congregation. And you ought to just see us go wild. Okay, beloved, I don't know how that really works, but you know, you don't get baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ. It's a one-time event. It's a one-time event that he baptizes you into the body of Christ. You have become saved, and now that you are in Christ, now that you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you and, and causes you to follow him and follow God and desire God with everything that you have. Look at 1 Corinthians, uh, excuse me, Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We spoke about this when we were in Galatians chapter 3. We talked about how the putting on of Christ is, is important. It's a, it's a covering. It's a protection. It's, it's, we're in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And when you're baptized into the body of Christ, you can't get unbaptized. You can't get taken out. The Holy Spirit now is your leader, your helper. And this is the placing me into the body of Christ, into the Jesus Christ himself. It's a one-time event, which happens at the time of salvation. And it is a uni it's universal for everyone, not just a select few. You don't need another baptism. You don't need another Holy Spirit. We had a group that was ministering with us, and uh, they were having uh, a study, and, and somehow, I'm not really, too, I can't remember how it happened, but they came to me. Some other people came to me. They says, Pastor Sal, how come you never told us about the Holy Ghost? I says, well, we talk about the Holy Ghost all the time. You know, I mean, the moment, the moment you became a Christian, you got baptized, and he baptized you. No, no, no. But that's, that's the Holy, yeah, the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit does it. No, you talk about the Holy Spirit, but what about the Holy Ghost? I had to stand back and say, what? The Holy Ghost is King James Versioneth. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is a little bit more modern translation, but they're the same person. Well, that's not weird. Well, you heard wrong. You heard wrong. And there are people wanting to get baptized by the Holy Spirit because, once again, this isn't enough. The cross is not enough. You say, oh yeah, you got saved, great. But you got to get baptized by the Holy Spirit in order for it to, be, to take. It's kind of like what Paul has been dealing with these guys in Galatia. These Judaizers that are saying, you've got to be circumcised. You know, you, you, you come into Christ unless you're Jewish or circumcised. And, and so it's the same thing that happens in some places. You get baptized in the cross. Number three, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Now, this is the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you. The Holy Spirit is the one that is empowering you and giving you the strength. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You can squash the Spirit by sin. You can quench the Spirit's fire by the things that we hold on to. That's why we have to walk by the Spirit. And, and this is kind of a apparent paradox. Because if you've been with me for some time now, you, you've heard me say that salvation is by grace alone. It has nothing to do with me. I don't have anything to do with salvation. Yet, I have something to do with salvation because I'm the one that got saved. And there's this apparent paradox that happens here. Well, if, if the Holy Spirit is supposed to be the one working in me, and which, why should I do anything? Because it's a command. God says you need to walk in the Spirit. You need to be in this place, and to get from this place to that place, you need to take one step forward and another step after that. Step by step. I kind of like the song that I made you put aside, but uh, that, that step by step, He leads you. And there is a process that you have to do. We call that sanctification. Some people call it discipleship. It's the process that each one of us go through as we learn what the scriptures have to say. He indwells you and he moves in you. And he causes you to change. And that's your Your part is to follow through in what Jesus Christ has already done on, in your life. In, in the next few verses of Galatia, Galatians, as we go through the book of Galatians, we're going to start seeing some things that pop out. They stand out. And they stand out in your life. And maybe in the life of other people. And, you know, they may not be as apparent in your life. But you have to remember that Jesus Christ said, the moment that you lust after a woman in your mind, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You have to remember that the moment that you are angry at your brother, you've already murdered him. See, Jesus had a higher standard. He had a higher standard as far as what it is that we ought to live. And he says, you cannot do this without the helper. That's why I'm sending you the helper. You need the helper. But you have to do your part in what you're doing. Now, again, I said apparent paradox. Because for God, that's not a paradox. He knows exactly what he's talking about. You can do this. I empowered you. That's why I gave you the helper. And that's why, number four, the Holy Spirit seals me. There's been a seal placed on your life. There's been a seal placed on your soul. There's been a seal that God himself has sealed you with. In the book of Revelation, there are seven seals. Seven seals signifies a document of heavy importance. 
Two seals was important. Three seals was even more. Well, you know, the, John says, you know, three is good. I'm going to double it and throw another one in there for an additional protection, additional authority, additional uh, covering. Uh, the importance of this document as John started to unveil the seals and, and the plague started to come forth with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, and all these things that were, were happening after each seal. And then, of course, you know, you have the, the bowls and, and you have the trumpets. And, and, but the seal... In scripture is always very important. You are sealed. Sealed means protection, that you are protected, and that you are His. You have God's holy seal upon your life. The moment that you are regenerated, the moment that you're born again, those that are genuinely saved have this genuine seal of protection and ownership. And God is not going to let you out of His hands. He will not let you out of His hands. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with this promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance. Some translations will say, who is a deposit. He's a seal and he's a deposit. You are mine. And if when we get to the book of Ephesians, you'll find that you have been his from the foundations of the world. From the foundations of the world, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. From the foundations of the world, God foreknew you. For knowledge. This knowledge that God has, well, of course he knows everybody. Of course he knows who are his and whose aren't. But if you look at the word knowledge, it means to know as, as uh, Adam knew his wife and they had a child. As Abraham knew Sarah and they had a child. And this knowledge that God has, he has this intimate relationship from the very beginning. And because he has an intimate relationship with you from the very beginning, beloved, you're his. And you're able to stand fully dressed. Fully just on power, in power, not only are you His, but He's giving you the Holy Spirit and the seal and a deposit. And this deposit is, is what is holding you until the day that Jesus Christ returns. And this is the deposit of our inheritance until we, we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You see, as a church, if we were to take these words, and we were to see the power and be filled by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that could stop us. Because God already knows the beginning to the end. And by all intent and purposes, this building should not be here. It's closed down. It's been dilapidated. It's been beat up. It's been broken. You know, everything. But, but somehow God has seen to it that you are here to accomplish a task in this area. You know, yesterday there was a fire in this, this community up here somewhere, kind of like what it started at back in 2003, or I can't remember what it, when it was. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to ignite this revival within you. To, to first of all, desire God and remove the flesh. He wants to ignite you in such a way that, that can stand in, in the midst of any type of persecution, any type of martyrdom, to be able to stand and to, to be able to proclaim what Jesus Christ did. Not to be wishy-washy or, well, I think, or, no, I heard the pastor say, no, but you need to know. And being a spirit church 
is the church that is filled with his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is the one that wrote the words of God. And the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to help me to remember this. But I can't remember anything that I don't study or that I don't get into. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to care for his church. You see, Jesus Christ is coming back again. He'll be here. And he's coming for a bride. A bride that has been cleansed by the word. And this bride needs to be a pure bride. And this bride is, you're part of it. If you've committed your life to Christ, if he's done this work within you, you're part of that bride. And I want to do everything I can within my own power, with whatever I can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to share with you what Jesus Christ calls us to do. It's a command. And we will follow through. So as we go through the end of Galatians in these next couple of chapters and start to see, and, and as I said earlier, bring some steel toe shoes, please. It, it'll be painful, and I pray not as much. And only, only for those that are still holding on to the flesh, only for those that still desire to cling to the flesh and feed the flesh, because the flesh is going to waste away. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that work within you. And he'll do that work within you. And he'll help you to accomplish what he's called you to do. I, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, I didn't want to dive into this being spirit-filled. But I wanted us to remember, especially in our culture and our time today, what that means. And there's a way to be able to see what it is that you're, you're following, which spirit you're following. And you can write this down in 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. John, the one that's talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter. The one is to give us, a, to help us to bear witness. Convicts the world of sin. That same John wrote three epistles. 1 John chapter 4, verse, uh, verses 1 through 8. He, he gives us a formula on how to look at you know, is this spirit from God? Or he was dealing with docetism at that time. You know, in other words, there was this, this, this thought that from uh, agnostic view, this thought from agnostic view that the flesh and everything was that you can touch matter was evil, and anything that was evil just was not of God, and only the spirit. So these guys would, you know, do whatever they wanted with the flesh. They would eat, drink, and be merry, and as long as they understood that they themselves were of this higher understanding, this higher wisdom, and so. They, they, John is trying to deal with that situation. That Jesus Christ cannot be man. Human. Not if he's God, he cannot be man. And it was a heresy that was being uh, pushed around through those days. But he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is so key for us today. Because what John deals with, first and foremost, is Christology. All throughout the Bible is Christology. It's Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ, it's Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus Christ, not himself. The Holy Spirit makes sure that his church is focused on Jesus Christ. John says, you got to make sure. He says, little children. Um, he said, well, first of all, in verse 1. I lost it.
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this, you know, the Spirit of God. By this, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come from in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. The, the, the spirit that focuses upon Jesus Christ and looks to Jesus Christ is the spirit, as John says, of God. This is how you test the spirits. Are they focusing on themselves? Are they focusing on wealth? Are they focusing on anything else? What are they focusing on? They're focusing on Jesus Christ. That is from the Spirit of God. Does it oppose worldliness? Verses 4 and 5. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are not from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Is there worldliness within that spirit? Is everything about the flesh, about how you can uh, prosper yourself or feel better? Or is, what is the worldliness in that? Because Jesus Christ promised that we would have troubles. All the disciples and, and all the apostles have faced some sort of martyrdom. We have to deny ourselves daily and pick up our cross and follow him in order to be his disciples. Time and time again, there is this sacrificial living that has to be done. Number three, uh, does it point people to the scriptures? In verses four, uh, excuse me, in verses six, it says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Because the word is being proclaimed and the scriptures are the ones being expounded on. Is that spirit that you're listening to focusing on the scriptures or what they think? I had to talk to somebody this last week and, and uh, we're talking theology and doctrine. He says, Well, I think, I said, okay, All right, before, before we go any further, any you start a conversation about theology or doctrine that I think, or I believe, or I wonder, I, I've always thought, tell me what the Bible says. What does the Word of God say? How does that apply to what we're talking about? And the last thing, does it produce a love for God? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God. Because, Why? God is love. There's a lot more that needs to be said about this. Once again, we did this when we went through the Spirit here a few, a couple of years ago now. But there is a formula that you can follow when you look at 1 John chapter 4. There is a formula that you can see. Is it focused on Christ? Is it focused on the Scriptures? Is it focused on the truth, elevating the truth? Does it focus on God? And when, when we get into God's Word... We have to be careful into reading what it says instead of trying to add something else to it or what other people think it says or what they feel or what they believe. I believe or I think. We have to be careful with that. Being Spirit-filled, the Holy Spirit will make sure that you are getting the Word because that's what He wants you to do. He'll bring it to your remembrance. He'll bring it to what it is that you have to do. Jesus Christ Himself said, at the Last Supper. He says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. God had told the people of Israel, remember what I did for you when I brought you out of Egypt. Remember when you were slaves. Remember, remember, remember. Why? 
Well, because we forget. Oh, I forgot. Oh, I, I, that's right. I don't remember. This is why every Sunday we come together and we listen to the Word of God, we read the Word of God, we apply the Word of God, and we carry the Word of God with us. Let me ask you to stand as we prepare for the remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for uh, your word. I know, Lord, that sometimes it's, it's a little harsh and it's a little hard on, on our ears, especially with the things that we have been accustomed to. And Lord, we need to take what your word says. And when it comes to the, the working and the role of the Holy Spirit within the church and within the individual, we can get some conflicting views. But Father, I pray that as we look at Scripture and we look at what Jesus Christ had told His disciples on the roles that the Holy Spirit will play in our life, that we can start taking that for uh, as, as the truth in our life. And there's much more that the Holy Spirit does. We know that. But Lord, He gives us an idea of what it is that we as a church want to do. We do want to be Spirit-filled, Lord. And we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Your Spirit. Because that's why you left them here. You left them here so that we wouldn't be orphans. We wouldn't be by ourselves. We wouldn't be all alone. And you knew the ravenous wolves that would be coming into the churches. You knew what was going to be happening in the world. And you knew that we couldn't do this on our own. So I pray this morning that as those that have committed their life to you, that they recognize that you have given them your Holy Spirit already. You died on the cross to make that possible. And that we can move forward step by step. Thank you, Lord. As we pause for a moment this morning to remember what you did on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you bring it all to our remembrance. Especially for those that have partaken of our Passover meal. And we recognize every element in that meal and how it points to you. And yet the people, the Jewish people, can't see it. But we know that Messiah of the Old Testament is you. And so as we do this in remembrance of you, help us to look back to the cross, the cruel cross that you had endured for us, but also help us to look forward to the day when we can share this meal with you. So thank you, Father, for being so good and giving us direction. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. We hold here what's called open communion. If you have committed your life to Christ, if you're serving Him, and if you'd like to partake of our, our uh, Lord's Supper, you, you can do so. Um, we don't just uh, leave for, for members of the church. However, if there is something within you that you feel, you know, I, I just, I'm just not able to take it now, it's okay as well. So however, you would like, however you're led, I'm going to pray that um, uh, those of you that are standing, and if you'd like to sit, you can, but those of you standing, they go, come on this way and straight back to the back on the table that we have designated for our Lord's Supper are the, the cup and the wafer in individual cups. So you can go now. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
He gave thanks, and he broke it. We're going to give thanks for what this wafer represents. And then together, after I say amen, we're all going to snap it between our fingers and just allow the, the echo of the cracker cracking through the auditorium. Uh, just let it remind you of the lashings that Jesus Christ took for us. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this wafer that represents your precious body. Sinless, yet became sin for us. Even as we were at odds with you, you died on the cross for me. And I thank you for taking on that, that punishment that has been dealt, that I no longer have to deal with that punishment for what you've done in my life. So, Father, this morning, we want to take this wafer, the representation of Jesus Christ, as he commanded us to do this in remembrance of him. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father in heaven, once again, we take this cup, this juice that has the representation of your blood. The color, the consistency. Lord, we see it. And we recognize that it's the precious blood that you shed for us. So, Lord, as we take this juice, I pray that you bless the vine that it came from. And you help us to remember what you endured on that cross. However, as the Apostle Paul said, that we look forward to the day and proclaim the day until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.